When you're hunting for a new job, there's no shortage of advice. How many times have you heard that LinkedIn is supposed to be very professional? And you shouldn't share anything personal on the social network. Funny photos don't belong there. Well, Michaela Alexis broke all the rules. Not only did she post selfies and vacation photos, but she opened up about her life struggles and her quest for her dream job. Today, her posts on LinkedIn get thousands of likes and comments, and she also recently launched her own company, which is thriving today. What about those who have told you that no one hires in the summer? Or even better, no one hires right before Christmas? Guess what? My current job, the one I love? I got hired in the month of December and started the first week after holidays. There is a lot of advice out there, and although a lot of it comes from kindness and people just trying to help, we are here today to debunk myths and tell the truth about some of the most common career tips given out these days. So brush off those dusty old tips and let's update the way you think about job hunting. Today's episode is sponsored by Reagan Awards. If you're seeking opportunities to accelerate your career in public relations, you should consider entering a Reagan Award program. You'll prove the success of your contributions to your company, earn a free registration to a Reagan event, and take home a shiny trophy. Current programs include the Video and Visual Awards, the PR Daily Awards, which will focus on the industry's most successful PR campaigns, publications, and events, and the ACE Awards, which honors individual PR practitioners from in-house teams and agencies. Young PR Pros listeners will receive 20% off, that's 20% off entry fees, for these three programs using the code YOUNGPR. Visit reagan.com awards to enter today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Young PR Pros, a podcast for the young and young at heart PR pros looking for tips and advice on how to build and advance their careers. I am Christine Darbell in Ottawa, Canada. And I'm Julia Kent in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm Ross Simmons, also in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I'm Claire Bonnyman in Kitchener, Ontario. So before we actually begin with today's topic, uh, we've got a special announcement. Uh, We get to announce a winner of a contest that we've been running. So if you're a regular listener of the show, you'll have heard a few uh, little ads uh, talking about um, encouraging people to rate us and uh, comment on iTunes. It really helps with the show and it really helps us get discovered for, you know, new listeners and other young professionals who want to, you know, get tips and advice for their careers. So the winner for this month is Ari Kay, and I hope I pronounced your name right, but Ari Kay, who is from Los Angeles, and she just started her career, and she turned to the podcast uh, for some advice. So thank you so much, Ari Kay, for listening to this podcast and for rating us and leaving a comment on iTunes. We really appreciate it. If you are a regular listener or if you really, really like the podcast, we'd love to hear what you think about it. So please, you know, leave us a comment or rate us on on iTunes. And uh, who knows, maybe you'll be the next winner. So um, Ari Kay is actually winning uh, one of our hosts, Ross Simmons. Uh, She gets to win one of his books. So that will be coming your way very, very soon. So thanks again. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Now on to our show. 
So like Ari Kay and a lot of our listeners, you're probably in the beginning of your career. Um, even if you're not in the beginning of your career, you might be thinking about, you know, switching over to a different job and things change in our industry and just in the job hunting industry on such a regular basis that I know myself, I've done it. I go out to a ton of different professionals and I ask for advice. You know, what's what's the latest thing that people are doing today? How should I be pro- applying for a job? Is it online? Is it in person? Should I have a fancy resume? Should I have a video resume? Anyway, everyone goes out and asks about um, advice. And uh, we're talking about this today also because I happened to read this article on Forbes.com, uh, which is called 15 Common Pieces of Career Advice That Are Actually False. And uh, they had uh, members from the Forbes Coach Council talk about some of the advice that they've heard and why it doesn't really work. So some of the examples is no one hires in the summer, a resume must, must be one page, and my favorite, do what you want and the money will follow. <laughs> so we'll talk about that a little bit later, because uh, I think that's a really, uh, there's a big myth in that one. Um, anyway, that's our topic today. We're, we're going to try to debunk a few myths um, and, you know, Try to unpack some of the advice that professionals of, you know, all ages are handing out there. Uh, so let's start with Claire, a recent grad uh, who I'm sure has heard it all. <laughs> what advice have you received that has actually turned out to be a flop? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> when you're recently out of school or when you're unemployed, you hear advice all the time because everyone wants to give it, which can be really helpful, but it also means a lot of different opinions coming at you. So I have a couple quick things that I kept hearing over and over that I can actually prove were just wrong. Like just not, (laughs) they just didn't work for me. Um, And the first one was kind of the idea of like taking yourself seriously. And I know that sounds weird because you should take yourself seriously and respect the work that you do and the talent that you have. But um, it was that idea of like when you have a website. So I have a website online and I was like, oh, you know, make it super serious. Like, you know, don't put like pictures of this and like, don't do this and like, don't do that. Um, and I mean, it's not like a fancy website. I just post the stuff that I do up there. And I kind of decided to say no thank you to that idea. And I put up jokes because I naturally, <laughs> I don't take myself very seriously. I take the work I do really seriously. So for example, when you go onto my website, the first thing you find is an audio file and you open it and the title of the file is called Who the Heck Am I? <laughs> and that's something I, I named it and it's like a little bit of a story about me. And I made that for a project and then use that to kind of address the rest of my website. And now it's to the point where my resume says that. Like it's it's something that I've adopted because it's an attitude that I kind of believe in. Because when I'm sending a resume out to people, I'm like, yeah, you have no idea. That's probably the question that you're asking yourself is who the heck is this? Well, here's who the heck I am. Um, so definitely that idea of taking yourself seriously, like you can do it in different ways. And then another thing that I hear all the time is that you have to move for a job. So whether someone's saying you have to move to like a big city or you really have to go to a small market to start, people are full of advice that tells you where you need to actually physically go. And really, I found that to be false. I mean, there are certain jobs where there's more opportunities in smaller cities and there's definitely benefits to being in different kinds of markets for different industries. But the truth is that a lot of jobs today, especially in communications and PR and media are found in every market across Canada. So there are always positions and when they're not always available all the time, they are there. So you should never feel like you have to make a move or make some kind of sacrificial change in that way just because someone says that's the only place you can start your career. Um, Because there's always opportunities everywhere. So 
nothing's isolated to one market or community or city or region. So, I mean, unless you're someone who says like, I want to work for Google or (laughs) something that's like really location specific, you can do a lot of different jobs in different places and you should never feel like you have to make that jump because sacrifices and challenging yourself is important, but that doesn't have to be one of those sacrifices. Those are good advice. Thanks. (laughs) What about you, Rob? (laughs) Um, I would say that the one big piece of advice that took me a while to uh, kind of get over was this idea of only embracing your strengths. Um, like a lot of people say, double down on your strengths, focus on what you're really good at, uh, and only focus on that, like ignore the rest. When in reality, I think that uh, it's your weakness that you need to be aware of um, and not be so insecure in thinking about. I think that it's easy for us to rely on our strengths. And in, when we do that, it allows us to be comfortable. And when we become comfortable, comfortable, we no longer get outside of our uh, essentially comfort zone, which allows us to kind of stay limited in our capacity to actually execute. Um, As an example of that, when I first started my career, I was a very nervous person. I wasn't really a public speaker. I had never really done public speaking. Um, My nickname in high school was Shy Ross, so I wasn't really uh, somebody who spoke in public. Um, And I I could have embraced... (laughs) (laughs) I could have embraced the strength that I have, which is just writing, um, but instead I doubled down on my weakness and signed up to do a lot of public speaking at events. And I remember the first event I went to and I spoke at, I was a sweaty mess when I got off the stage, but I kept pushing myself to get stronger and stronger at that. Um, And over time, I've been able to have the the opportunity to speak all over the world. And that's only because I pushed myself to actually double down on my weakness rather than solely focusing on my strength. And I, I think, you know, following up to what you were saying, Ross, um, I also find that in our industry, or at least what I've sort of felt is very, it's, it's a lot harder to find those niche jobs where it's like, okay, I'm really, really good at writing. So I'm going to find a job that only allows me to write, or I only do writing. I find that those jobs are like few and far between. Um, and some people can get those. So they'll, they'll double down on their, you know, their strengths and then they'll find their niche and they'll sit there for, you know, 50 years and they'll do great. But, um, I, I don't think that a lot of that exists nowadays for our generation. Um, I feel that you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. And if you go into, uh, you know, a job interview and say, I only know this and you completely ignore, a ton of other sort of skills. Um, And again, you don't have to say, I'm an awesome graphic designer. I'm an awesome public speaker. I'm an awesome writer. You could say, I'm a really good writer. I've dabbled into public speaking. I know a little bit of graphic design. Um, I've experimented with this and that. At least you show that there's interest and you're not ignoring the things that you don't like, but you're, you're just kind of tapping into it once in a while to make sure that you still know that there's these other skills that you could potentially have to use at any point in your career. Um, I just, I mean, and maybe it's just the the specific role I'm in, but I, I don't have a niche. I, I, I have to look at my weaknesses because I do things that are outside of my comfort zone all the time. So completely agree with what you're saying, Ross. And I think it's even more important for our industry because I think that's just reality. Definitely. Um, so I, uh, I had said that we'd revisit this uh, topic. So I want to revisit something that I said in the intro about, you know, um, uh, do what you love and the money will follow. So this was bad advice that Maureen Metcalf from Metcalf and Associates in the Forbes article gave. Um, And uh, I'll just let you uh, read the quote. And then I'm kind of curious to hear uh, what everyone else thinks about it. So jobs generally set pay standards based on market rates. 
finding a livelihood that will pay the bills is a combination of developing skills and something you are innately wired to do and selecting something that will pay the bills. We all want to do something we love. Most of us are good at a broad range of skills, so we can select the skills that will pay as a job and others as a hobby. So I'm kind of curious to hear about what you guys think about this advice when people say, no, 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 just find the job that you love and don't worry, money will follow. What do you guys think about That's that? That's such a lie. <laughs> that is a blatant lie. Like, it, I feel bad saying it, but like, I went to journalism school to become a journalist, which as everyone knows is a dying industry. <laughs> so there's not a ton of jobs. And I have been quoted many a thousand times by professors and instructors at both college and university that I should expect $18,000 a year when I first start working which requires you to get another job and inevitably, you know, you're going to have to pay your rent too. So, oh, you're probably going to need like three jobs, but you should also give your all to this one job. Otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. Like it's, I love reporting and I love writing and I love doing radio and I love doing podcasts, but I can't get paid for all of those things. Like I've been doing what I love for a, a few years now and I'm not getting paid very much for any of it. So it's, I do agree that you should like what you do, but it doesn't guarantee that there's going to be any money coming. I don't know. That's just my jaded reaction. Well, I'm going to completely agree with you because I love podcasting and I could just say, nope, I'm going to have a career in podcasting and I'm just going to record podcasts all the time. But guess how much, how much money I'm going to make? Zero dollars. So, <laughs> and unfortunately yeah. I've got a family I've got a house that I've got to pay for. I think it's just the reality. Yet, you know, to your point, Claire, you can still do what you love, right? And I do have a job that I love, by the way. Um, and of course, I wouldn't have been there long, like as, as long as I'm there if I didn't love it. Um, but I'm still there to pay the bills. And I love podcasting. So I continue to do that. And there's other things that I love. And I, I kind of sneak that into volunteering once in a while. So um, I think it's it's a little bit of that, I don't know, a misconception that, you know, just, just find something that you really enjoy and because you enjoy it, the money will come. Well, not necessarily. You actually have to find something that's going to pay the bills. So I've got, yeah, I've got the, the tough counter to that a little bit. Um, I think that you can do, I think that this might just be my weird <laughs> optimism, but I believe that you can actually make a lot of money doing podcasting. And I think that Claire can make a lot of money doing journalism if you guys really, really, really want to. Um, I think that the market ultimately speaks for itself. And then you have to just evaluate where the opportunities lie in the market and create value that the market responds to. And then you get paid because of the value that you're offering the market. So I do think like at the end of the day, it's impossible for you to say that you can't make a lot of money doing podcasting because there's thousands of people who do make a great income doing podcasting. There's also a lot of people who have created their own blogs and their own like journalism kind of segments of the internet that cover a topic that is interesting to them and they create their own little kind of niche and then they allow that to kind of be create their career. So I do think that uh, there, I think that anything is possible. I think that the market allows you to kind of go into it if you can see an opportunity and capitalize on it and you can, you can actually deliver value to the world. I think that you'll get value back in the the, the sky's the limit when it goes to that. Like if I wanted to um, become, again, 
niche down and go back to what I was doing in university where I was writing about fantasy football, I could probably make 45, 50K a year writing about fantasy football if I doubled down all of my time and my energy and effort into that niche again. Um, but right now, I see a bigger opportunity mm-hmm. for me to achieve what I want to in the marketing side. So that's where I've spent the majority of my time. But I do believe that I could double down on fantasy football and I could do that. Um, I believe that if I wanted to start a blog about superheroes, I could do that and I could create an income out of that as well. I think that the market does offer those opportunities. We just have to kind of look internal to see what is it that we're willing to kind of sacrifice for a little bit of time to actually get that off the ground. I don't think that um, some some areas allow you to have that opportunities. Like I love just watching football and eating Doritos, but I'll never get paid to do that. I do actually have to deliver some type of value at the end of it <laughs> that the market would respond to. No one's going to pay me to just sit there and eat Doritos and watch football. That's not going to happen. But if I was able to eat Doritos, watch football, and then provide value to thousands of people all over the world... Now we're talking about a different story. Ross's, you know, new like YouTube channel. Watch Ross, eat Doritos, <laughs> and watch football. <laughs> it's a live stream every You'd week. be surprised. Some people have some very interesting YouTube uh, channels and do very that well is with true. them. So. That is true. This is true. See, but that's the thing, right? Is that people can do it, but I don't think that everybody should, right? Like, I, I know that sounds weird, but... Even if like, it's a, if we're talking about advice for grads and in, in general, I think that it is something that you can do. But I also think there is a certain level of should you do that or should you try something else first? Like give it something else a shot. You know, some jobs you don't know you're going to love until you're in them, right? Like you can still love what you do if you're not writing about fantasy football. Um, I don't know. I just I think there's a balance, and I think it's advice that some people can follow, but not everybody. Well, can and achieve. I think. But I think on the flip side of that, if you don't try it and someday you die, you are going to die with regret. So why not try it when you're a young grad? It's the perfect time to take a risk and do something crazy that's going to fail (laughs) rather than when you're 45 years old, you have uh, a torn meniscus, you have to get a liver replaced, and you've got a bunch of issues going on where you actually have to work. Like when you're young, those are the times to take those risks. And I think Ross, you also said something. Oh. Go ahead, Julia. I'm in between. I'm in between you guys because, like, I totally see where Ross is coming from. He's saying that you know the sky's the limit. You can do anything you put your mind to, and I totally believe in that. And I believe that if you put you know 110 percent into something um, for long enough, that you know you're going to make it work. However, I also think that we, you know, a dose of realism um, is necessary. Like Claire said, she's chosen, unfortunately, um, a dying field, really, in many ways. And sure, <laughs> if she if she had, yeah. you know, 60 hours a week to just dedicate um, and not have to worry about an income at all um, to being a journalist or creating her own, her own journalistic website or blog, maybe she would be able to do that. But realistically, she actually has to eat and keep her roof over her head so i'm in between you guys i like both of your points i like the i like the optimism and positivity and you can do anything you put your mind to (laughs) but i also totally understand um where christine and claire are coming from that you know sometimes it's not that simple and I think Ross, you kind of said it in 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 your optimistic, you know, pitch for this. 
Um, you also said something that I think also kind of talks to what Claire and I are talking about is that, you know, you have to look at what you're willing to sacrifice in, in, in your life, right? If, if you are willing to sacrifice, um, you know, owning a house and you're going to stay in a small apartment so that you have a manageable amount of um, things that you have to pay for so that you can go for that thing that you've always loved and you've always wanted to try to do then you go for it, right? Um, but when you're in a reality where you don't have the luxury to be able to not live without an income, then you kind of have to you have to look for a job that you're going to love that will also pay the bills and then maybe do something on the side that you also love, right? So um, I think it's, it's a combination of yeah. the reality that you're in and how passionate you are about what you want to do. So I agree. Um, so now let's talk about interviews in particular, because I know that there's a ton of, adv ton of advice out there. What about my advice? You oh. sure? <laughs> <laughs> I did forget about you. <laughs> oh okay, wait, so I, I like, I got, I, my name is like buried I know. into a giant long paragraph in your outline. And I'm like, I'm just an afterthought. Yes. No, no, no. Go with your advice. So I thought long and hard about, um, I really struggled with this topic because I thought long and hard about the bad career advice I've ever been given. And I'm like, I can't think of any. I don't know that I've ever been given bad career advice, which is a really great problem to have. <laughs> but I was about um, to say, you're really lucky. Yeah, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think most of them were mentioned in the article or mentioned earlier in this podcast, and that's actually um, why I was struggling with something new to say. Um, but I have one, and it's a good one, and it's one that I fight uh, with so much gusto, um, and it's something that comes up every time I'm talking to a, a current student or a new grad or a young, young professional, um, and it's that um, education trumps experience, or more simply put, you should get a master's. And I, you guys have heard me <laughs> rant about this before, but I am the biggest anti extra education for the sake of extra education <laughs> professional <laughs> in the world. I will take experience um, and skills over education any day. And that includes um, in my, you know, in my managers, in my colleagues, and in my staff. And particularly in the field of PR, I think that, yeah, a, a PR degree is fantastic, but experience is really what's going to um, make you shine bright and ultimately help you succeed. So I talk to students all the time and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do after my undergrad. I'm going to go jump right into a master's. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, you can do that. You can go into a master's right away. But not if you're under the impression that that's going to further your career. Do it because there's another mm -hmm. subject you're interested in or do it because you're scared of the real world. And quite frankly, when you're graduating at 20 or 21, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Claire, you also had other reasons. <laughs> right? But. Um, True. Yes. Uh, but. You know, I feel like a lot of the times, um, you know, people that are graduating from their undergrad don't really know what to do with their lives. And so they just jump into another degree. And sometimes, sometimes it makes you less employable if you have, you know, six straight years of post-secondary education and no experience. So my 
Um, my advice, my counter advice to the get a master's right away, or you need to have an MBA or whatever is no, you need to have it coupled with experience. And if you don't have the experience Mm -hmm. first, in many instances, it's even harder to get because I'm not going to look at, um, someone's resume and hire them. If they have two degrees and no work experience, I'm going to hire the person with one degree and work experience over them. I'm with you. Agree. Hugely, yeah. Okay. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Nobody has anything <laughs> to say about my job. advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Soundproof. Glad I got that in there. Almost got cut out. So let's talk about interviews. Because um, I know that there's a ton of advice out there for interviews. Um, and I also know that a lot of that advice is um, outdated actually funny in the Forbes article, one of the advice that someone was mentioning is apparently wear a red suit what? and you will get hired. I was like, I don't know where that came from. And it, anyway, it's a super, <laughs> super outdated, I guess, at some point. I will say I have a red power skirt <laughs> that, is, that, that, that is the lucky skirt and, and, it, and it's been noticed. <laughs> I find that if you show up without a suit jacket, it doesn't mean that it's going to hurt your chances to get a job. And in fact, I've actually been blown away and amazed and actually it's come up as like a topic in the interview uh, when people show up like wearing something that's unique from them, still professional looking, but unique in their own style. And um, I, I actually like that. And I don't, I, especially in our generation, I actually don't think you need to, you know, shine a little bit of light on who you are and your personality by having a little bit of something that's unique to you without a suit. So, and again, I've, I've, you know, done the hiring process. I've had people show up in suits. And I also find that if, if someone shows up in a suit, but they're super uncomfortable, then you can tell. And then they're just uncomfortable throughout the entire interview. But if you show up in something that's still professional looking, but unique to you, and you're comfortable, and that kind of shines through, you know, then I think that's completely fine. So, um, but I'm kind of curious to hear from everyone else, what other sort of tips uh, do you sort of disagree with? One that I disagree with is the idea of whenever they ask that dreaded question, what is your weakness, that you actually just do a little bit of a dance and a spin and you actually tell them that one of your weaknesses is a strength. <laughs> um, I think that that is so lame. <laughs> oh, I hate when people do that. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I care too much. I work, I work too, too hard. hard. I spend too much time <laughs> I, worrying about the little things. I agree. Like, get out of here, get out of my room. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so like, when I, whenever I got interviewed, I was blunt with people and I told them like, I am very, very disorganized, I'm messy, I'm, I'm not like a left brain person, that's just not who I am. And I got respect for it and I think that people need to be more transparent and just show that you're a human. Uh, like nobody expects to hire a robot. So embrace the idea of being a human, let people know your flaws, and typically the way that they respond back to you will be an indicator of whether or not you want to work with this person or not uh, to begin with. Oh, I totally agree. I, I am always like brutally, brutally honest when they ask that question, when interviews ask that question, and it has never, ever, ever backfired on me. It has always I mean, it's endearing. It's endearing to hear anyone talk about their weaknesses, right? And and it and it, it's true. It's such it's such a skill. And if you don't know what your weaknesses are, you need to have some very candid conversations with the people that are close to you, <laughs> and they will tell you. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Go ask your mom; she will tell exactly. you exactly. Very true. 
<laughs> well, I'm having a hard time with this one. Um, I can think of some small things. Um, I am still old school enough. You need to bring a copy of your resume with you to interviews. Um, the reason that I say that is because a few times the person interviewing me has not had a chance to print it off or hasn't even looked at it yet or something. Um, so I still say have a hard copy, um, even if it's like a hard copy that's kind of like in a clear sleeve that you kind of take back at the end of the interview, whatever, because um, I realized printing things is a little archaic these days. Um, what else have I heard? Oh, the I mean, I don't know if anybody would ever give this advice, <laughs> but, you know, I don't ask questions. You, you need to ask questions. If you don't ask questions, it's terrible. Um, mm-hmm huge 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 red flags like you have to have questions how can you not have questions? it's a huge red flag i um, find like i mean i've heard someone say like negotiate yeah. the salary and all the perks up front that's yeah an absolute no no leave that to the very 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 end um yeah i you know i couldn't think of too many i've gotten really great advice in my life guys which is obvious based on you know where i am <laughs> I make myself I'm laugh jealous. Today. Uh, what about you, Claire? I think I would say that, and I know this kind of echoes a couple of the points that have been already made in what I said before, but there's that stereotype of like putting your best foot forward means like super proper, professional, like carry a briefcase. And I, I know you should be portraying yourself well and, like, on your best behavior <laughs> and all that. And I'm not disagreeing with dressing up and preparing, but you shouldn't be afraid to show your personality, too. Whether that's the way that you said, Christine, with, like, wearing something that's indicative to you, you know? Like, sometimes it can be as simple as just don't wear heels. If you don't wear heels, don't do it. The jobs that I've gotten that I've actually really enjoyed uh, were ones where I was actually myself in interviews. So I was kind of goofy. I made stupid (laughs) jokes. I was self-deprecating. I let my passions and my interests show, you know? Like, I wasn't top button, tight-tied, ready to go. If you want to be yourself at work, and I think most people kind of do, you should set that tone in the interview. Because the truth is that there's a lot of new grads who will come and tell them exactly what they want to hear and be 100% like totally head to toe put together, but they don't tell them much else. And sometimes being yourself and making those jokes or having that personality or communicating in the way that you do, uh, it's what gets you noticed. And more than that, it also kind of sets a precedent so that if they do decide to hire you, you're confident that you can be comfortable being yourself at work, which is a really important thing if you want to like your job. And especially if you're going for your first job, you're about to start spending 37 and a half hours in one place every week. So I think you actually want somewhere where you can be that best version of yourself. So yeah, I think just having that relaxed attitude, you're sharing who you are, you're getting interviewed, but you're also interviewing them. So you shouldn't be afraid to show those parts of your personality that are going to come out eventually anyways. And I feel from my perspective where I've, I've hired people, if, if they're not themselves in the interview, it's actually a disservice to me because, you know, say that you're, you're buttoned up and everything seems fine. And it's like, well, you know, on paper and in interview, it seems like you check all the boxes, but I always hesitate with those people that they haven't showed their personality because I'm going to be working with them for 37.5 hours a week. And I feel that not only is it important for you to make sure that you 
are finding a job that fits for you, but also for the employer. You want to make sure that there's going to be that that jive. I mean, you think about the amount of time you spend in a job, like the amount of time you spend with colleagues. Like sometimes you spend more time. There are weeks that I spend more time with my boss than with my own family. So you it's got you have to show your personality because there's got to be a click there. If there's no click, then everyone's just going to be miserable in the end. And um, it's a lot of, I find it's just a lot of time wasted, right? So I'm a 100% show your personality. You know, I don't care if you show up in a suit, you know, if you want to show up in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and sandals, and you explain to me why you do this, then you've also just left an impression on me. So, <laughs> Christine, now I'm regretting my outfit choice. When you first interviewed me for this, I should have well, worn a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, if it goes back to that idea of dressing for the job that you want, I should just start wearing a football oh my God. jersey when I go to interviews with people. Just Casual always Friday. have a bag of Doritos with you, though. Hey, podcast listeners, are you enjoying this episode? If so, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Every month, Young PR Pros chooses one lucky person who reviews the show and sends them a thank you gift. This month, that person could be you. So head over to iTunes and leave us a review today. Now, back to the show. Welcome to another segment of uh, Breakfast Club, uh, where we offer the uh, top four articles that you need to read over breakfast uh, tomorrow. So, Ross, what is your article? This? So, let's get to Ross after because I forgot to get an article ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next on the list. Disorganizing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Claire. Thanks. He's honest about it, though. <laughs> um, next on the list is uh, Claire. So full disclosure, this week's article really hit home with me. And part of that is actually because it was written by a girl that I went to high school with. Um, And it was titled, What Am I Going to Do With My English Degree? And it was in uh, the Globe and Mail. And it was an essay that she wrote that obviously is all about people asking her what she's going to do with her English degree and what she's going to do now that she's graduated. Um, And it's something that I think speaks to the concern a lot of people feel fresh out of school you're either looked down upon for studying a certain thing by your grandmother or maybe you're on the other side of things and you yourself are punishing yourself because you feel like you're floundering because you're unemployed and your degree was worthless because now you can't find a job and I think it's just a really important thing to read and to remember to like take a step back because she makes a couple really really awesome passionate points about how Things like critical thinking skills, which you can pick up in any degree, but they're huge. And if you manage to pick those up during school, that's a big thing. And it it doesn't necessarily translate into, oh, I'm going to be an accountant or, um, you know, actuarial sciences, those degrees that have jobs lined up right after. Um, but it it is applicable and it there is a forward future to it. It's just not as easy as reading off the piece of paper what your future job is going to be. So um, it's definitely more of a creative essay, but I think it is really worth a read. And um, she does a really great job of kind of capturing that feeling of post-grad life when you're not 100% sure where you're at and everyone just keeps asking you. So yeah, 
What Am I Going to Do With My English Degree by Kayla Fenton in the Globe and Mail. I can't wait to read that because uh, I went to university for language and linguistics. And while I was in school, I got a lot of condescending remarks of people saying, what are you going to do with that? It's like, well, it's not a clear (laughs) path, but I will figure something out. You know, like there is no linguistics job, but... You know, I had a ton of opportunities. And anyway, I laugh at those people now because I love what I do. So um, I actually have, <laughs> <laughs> I have my two um, articles. One is more of a website that you need to uh, visit because I've been testing it out and I really love it. Uh, and it also happens to be created by one of our hosts. But you need to go to Crate. Um, uh, is it Crate.com, Ross? Or is it Crate Team? Or is it- Getcrate.co. Getcrate.co. Okay. Uh, so you need to go visit Getcrate.co. Uh, and set up a profile. It's a super easy way to, uh, you know, scour the internet for interesting articles that are relevant to both you and uh, the audience. If you happen to have a social media profile and you want to share relevant and interesting articles, uh, I'm using it both for uh, the podcast, for my personal uh, profile. But my article that you should read is actually a video. um, And it's a TED Talk that I came across. And it's called How Boredom Can Lead to Your Most Brilliant Idea. And I love this so much because a few days before I actually uh, read this TED Talk, I had to write a grant proposal. And in it, I had to come up with like uh, some ideas and I had been given very little direction for it. And basically my boss is just like, go and write something amazing. And I'm sitting there like, oh shit, I don't know what to do. Um, And... I decided to uh, just go for a bike ride um, and no audio, no nothing. I said, I'm just going to go for a bike ride and just ride around. And every single idea, like my mind flooded with thousands of ideas. And I ran back home and I scribbled a whole bunch of stuff on a piece of paper. um, And I handed in that uh, grant proposal for review um, and got really positive feedback from my bosses. So I think, uh, and this also kind of goes to um, an episode that we recently posted about deep work and the importance of, you know, um, not multitasking. And sometimes it's, you know, uh, sitting on a bench and trying to solve a problem in your head and making your brain muscles work on their own um, is the best way to be productive. So, um, Uh, TED Talk, Boredom Can Lead to Your Most Brilliant Idea is uh, my uh, suggestion for this week. Uh, Julia. Well, I'm holding back the article that I really wanted to talk about because as I tweeted um, recently, I really want it to be a podcast topic uh, soon. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Christine. (laughs) Um, But I have another one and it's from none other than the career contessa um, who I I follow pretty religiously and they're focused on women in the workplace and helping women succeed in the workplace. And uh, this article in particular, um, one second, I'm trying to pull it up. Yeah. This article, this article in particular is about um, when to speak up in tricky office situations. And it is um, a really good one because it hits particularly on uh, three notes that, I think everybody has come across at some point um, in their in their careers. And it's number one, I'm being excluded by coworkers. Do I say anything? So for example, your coworkers go out to lunch and don't invite you or whatever. Um, my boss is out to get me. I have been through this one many times. (laughs) Unfortunately, I've had really great career and interview advice, but I've had some bosses that were 
less than satisfactory and seemed to have something, some, 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 maybe threatened by me. I'm not sure, but this one was really good. It's when to speak up when, when you're having issues with your boss. And then the third point that the article covers is I've heard office gossip about me. And, um, you know, we've all probably been there too, or we hear something that's going around that just isn't true and you have no idea where it came from. Um, and it kind of goes through, when in those three situations to speak up and when um, to shut up, basically, because there's sometimes when those things are going on where it's most professional and makes you look most confident to say nothing. And then there's sometimes when you really need to advocate for yourself and call a spade a spade and, and, and deal with it. So that is my article. All right, Roth. All right. So mine is from uh, the co-founder of Infusionsoft. It was written a while back, uh, but it's called Surviving to Thriving While Why Entrepreneurs Need to Take a Break. And the reason why I was delayed in figuring out what my article was going to be was because I'd been checked out and unplugged this entire week uh, celebrating my anniversary. So I haven't actually been wired in too much uh, into my work. And it's a great reminder to anybody who does have a crazy schedule uh, that sometimes you do have to just unplug. Uh, get away from all of the pixels and the madness, the emails, the, the tweets, the dings, the dongs, and the snaps, and uh, just unplug and go back to nature for a bit and spend some time with the, the ones that matter the most. Amen. <laughs> um, I did get everyone, right? <laughs> God. You <Yeah>. did. Okay. <laughs> no one was I might missed. have been missed again if Ross hadn't forgotten his... Uh... Uh, all right. Forgetting his article, I was already buried at the bottom again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now gonna make you go first for everything. Never, I'm never first. Thanks again to Reagan Awards for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out Reagan's award programs. The video and visual PR Daily and ACE Award programs have many categories dedicated to new trends in PR and industry best practices. Make sure to use your code YOUNGPR to get 20% off entry fees for these three programs. Visit reagan.com slash awards to enter. That's reagan.com slash awards to enter. So now is that part of the episode where we talk about the lessons that we've learned over the last little bit and the takeaways that we have. So Julia, why don't you go first? Ooh, what have I learned this episode? Well... I've learned that you and Christine are pessimists and Ross is an optimist. <laughs> yep. Um, realist. 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 Oh, you. sorry. <laughs> yes, how, how very optimistic of you. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I think, um, I think all of the advice on here was, was, was really great. And I'm really struggling for a lesson learned. What did I learn? That you got the best know. advice to, in the beginning of your career, way yeah. better than the rest of us did. Exactly. What <laughs> I learned in this episode is that I clearly have lucked out in the advice, career advice department and interview tips department compared to comparatively to my uh, my producer and my co-host. So there you have it. There you All right, go. Ross. Why they pay me the big bucks? <laughs> <laughs> so the big takeaway that I had uh, was. Also a reminder, so it was uh, something that I forgot about. Um, we didn't really dive into it too much, but there is a lot of studies that show that when you wear red, you're considered <laughs> to be like more attractive and people are interested in what you oh have to goodness. say. 
Um, and if you look at a handful of the interviews that I did early in my career, whenever I would get interviewed, I would wear the same red shirt and my sister would always laugh because she knew why I was doing it. Um, and it was because of this psychology study that I read while I was in university. Um, so I'm going to pull that shirt out of the closet and I'm going to start doing it again. <laughs> you still have that shirt? Oh my goodness. Oh, oh I definitely still have that shirt. I don't throw out my shirts. I be- Goodness gracious, that's an old shirt. Christine, how about you? Uh, well, I learned that now I have to buy more red clothes because I look through my closet and I don't you have any red. You never wear red, Christine. <laughs> I don't yeah, have red. Don't, you don't. I don't have no, red. No, red is no, best. Don't I you know? know? I do know that red is best. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> oh, but... Um, uh, I think my lessons, my lesson learned for, for this episode, and I'm also struggling with, with Julia, I think we just talked about so many amazing things, but I mean, although I'm a realist, um, I, I, I did like hearing Ross's, um, optimism and it is a good reminder. Um, and one reason why I will not ever quit on this podcast, um, and I will continue to do it and, one day, if I can get a paycheck out of it, um, I, I I would love to do that one day. But anyway, so it's a, it's a reminder to continue to work hard on the things that I'm passionate about. Regardless, I might not be making a dime on it now, but um, I might make a dime on it later. So, Okay, so this was a very subtle plug by Christine to all of the people listening right now. If you are listening <laughs> to this podcast and you're enjoying yourself and you want Christine to be able to quit her day job and podcast for a living, write us a glowing iTunes review. Thank you. <laughs> this message brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> Julia, the one that's always left out. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And Claire, what about you? So I guess I want to second Christine's because as much as I love and embrace my grumpy old man status as a (laughs) pessimist, um, it is a nice reminder to hear that you can do things and dreams do, it sounds so stupid, but dreams do come true and opportunities (laughs) are out there if you work hard for them. Um, This is sounding a bit like Pinocchio, but that's fine. I think... You're like such a pessimist. You can't even get through I'm these like, like optimistic. <laughs> no, like I'm actually, I'm a pretty optimistic it's person. True. But I think it's it's a good reminder <laughs> when you're in the midst of tough experiences and when you are feeling a bit jaded and frustrated with how things are turning out that there are people who have gone farther than you who are feeling a lot better. So you're not going to feel this way forever. So that's what I'm taking in right now. Um, yeah, I, I also just think it, it was another one more kind of powerful reminder of that idea of different. Uh, strokes for different folks. I grew up teaching canoeing and it's that idea that everyone paddles differently. So when you're in your career, everyone has a different way that they can succeed. And that means showing your personality, whether it means wearing a tropical Hawaiian shirt or wearing a red shirt to every single interview (laughs) or, you know, just finding different ways to come across as your best self will look differently for everyone. So when you are reading articles of advice for people starting their careers, remember to take it with a grain of salt because those are really general, but you're not general and you shouldn't be general. So um, I think that's my big takeaway. Thank you for listening to this episode of Young PR Pros. We would love to hear from you. You can check us out on Facebook or Twitter at Young PR Pros or on our website, youngprpros.ca. 
or on Instagram at PR Pros Podcast, where you can check us out with our weekly Instagram takeover, where one of our hosts give you a sneak peek into the life behind the scenes and what it really takes to be a young PR pro. You might be surprised. As always, you can let us know how we did by reaching out at youngprpros at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes at Young PR Pros Podcast, the one with the nice new blue logo. Cheers, and we'll see you next time. This episode featured tracks by Lee Rosevere. Editing and production by Claire Bonnyman. <laughs> <laughs>